We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome to Thought Talk Radio. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host this evening, Joe Quinn. Hi there. Join us again this week, editors Harrison Keeley and Juliana Barnbohm. Hello. Hi. So, another week of madness. Liquid wars, plague, hot wars, cold wars. What are liquid wars? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a Pepe Escobar poetic license concept for geopolitics. It applies to what's going on in the Middle East. That doesn't explain what it is. No. <clears throat> so <clears throat> the U.S. is simultaneously, this is just one example, simultaneously friend and foe of Turkey now. Liquid war means that the situation is changeable hour to hour. I mean, or rather, both, both are held true at the same time. The situation is liquid. I think fluid's a more common term. <laughs> anyway, good enough. Well, let's start there. Um, this is uh, this is this is a good example of just the insanity reigning on this planet at the moment. Um, even the reporting of what is happening on the Syrian-Turkish border, depending on what you're reading, when. You might think that the Turks are helping in the battle against ISIS, or they're actually funding and backing up the ISIS fighters. It's the reason why you're not getting a straight answer in the Western press. It because they're not allowed to know that this situation is that fluid because they want people to be thinking. Well, at least. The government's on top of this somehow, right? No, they're they're keeping all options on the table in the sense that everything is turning into a kind of a whirlwind in the Middle East. So five days ago, the Turks began attacking their traditional enemy in this region, Kurdish PKK supporters inside Iraq, nearly as far south as Baghdad, and of course inside Syria in the north. And at the same time, you're hearing lots of weepy sub-stories, pity stories about how the Kurds are our friends in the West against the dastardly ISIS, jihadist, nutjobs. Turkey is our NATO ally, so we must support Turkey, but Turkey isn't playing ball, but we can't let you know that <laughs> because... The, the situation is fluid, but we want you back home just to just to know that there's one bad guy, just ISIS, and everything else is, um, we got this. And that's what I mean by liquid war. It's They're going into it knowing that the situation is changing from moment to moment. Uh, this is where you're getting, you've got 
your good rebels, bad rebels, good terrorists in quotes, bad terrorists. Good Kurds, bad Kurds. Good good free Syrian army, bad free Syrian army. It's because they now have so many labels they cannot really keep a straight story in the Western press. And it's it's on the one hand it's it's uh, a mind bender to try and unravel it. But I think when I say that um the US government, for example, is knowing is knowingly treating all sides as the enemy at the same time and just depending on how the sands are shifting week to week uh, with the exception of ISIS ISIS of course is the one label that of course is the evil one but everything is up in the air at the moment um, the situation is pronounced on a global stage this week by the sudden drop in oil prices this this should not have happened. Oil this week should have exploded, if anything, because there's a basic relationship to how things are going in the Middle East. When things get even worse there, oil generally tends to go up because uh-huh. of lack of stability and, oh, shit, we have supplies coming in the next day, we don't know. It's dropped. And that right there tells you something else is going on and... I'm pretty sure that the Saudis have stitched a deal up with the Americans to artificially suppress the price of oil. Uh-huh. And that brings back Russia into the game because the Russians depend on the price of oil on the market being in a certain level. If it dips below this level, their state budget starts to suffer because they budget for how their economy is going to run mm-hmm. based on oil being a certain price. I think it's something like $95 a barrel. It's plummeted to 80 mm-hmm. inside a week. Yeah, and I think they, the Russians wanted, needed it at 100 had projected for it to be $100 a barrel. And um, for the last four years, oil had been um, stable at about $110 a barrel. And then uh, just this last week, last well, actually last... Uh, few months since June this year, it's dropped about 30% to about $83 a barrel. So, um, yeah, that uh, causes problems, economic problems for Russia, whose uh, economy is, you know, depend, largely dependent on uh, oil being above that $100 mark, ideally more than that. It also causes problems for Venezuela. Uh, so and we don't need to tell people that uh, Venezuela is also part of the new axis of evil as far as Washington's concerned. So, yeah, it definitely seems to be a case of economic warfare. And we note also that, um, I think it was last year, it was reported that um, former Saudi minister, um, what's his name? Oh, Bindar Bush. Yeah, Bandar, Bandar, Bandar Bush, Bandar Bush uh, supposedly made, a, made an offer to Russia and... If Russia would uh, get in line with uh, the West, uh, U.S. and Saudi plan to take down Assad, that the Saudis would uh, kind of rig the well, what they would ensure that uh, oil prices stayed high, and therefore, um, uh, you know, keep Russian the Russian economy kind of on track. 
But Putin uh, apparently dismissed or rejected that that offer, and that offer from the Saudis at the same time was uh, was laced with a threat to um, to cause problems at the at the Olympics, at the Sochi Olympics. Um, and we saw there was a was a bombing just uh, around that time uh, in a train station and not far from Sochi. So they kind of uh, they tried, but obviously the the Russians weren't uh, weren't taking the bait, and you know were able to keep control of the situation. And they apparently, I don't know, they the Russians have a plan, and they're not too worried. It's you know eighty three is kind of low for the Russians, but uh, it's not unmanageable, I suppose. And um, so yeah, that's something to be to be seen. But it brings it brings it back to the to the what we've been saying in the past is that uh, uh, on a the bigger picture and the bigger scale, uh, all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East right now is is largely focused uh, and has been for a long time uh, uh, against Russia and preventing uh, Eurasian integration. You know, the the US is basically like a it's kind of like a, you know a slave master that's extremely paranoid has gone paranoid to the to the point of kind of insanity and. Uh, you know, is is suspicious, extremely paranoid about um, all of its all of its slaves, basically, and the people that it controls, thinking that they're going to rebel at any moment. So periodically, you know, it it just keeps them all under the whip. You know, a good lashing, uh, whether you need it or not, type of thing. Um, uh, a few lashes from the whip, whether you need it or not, is uh, is, is their policy? Has it been their policy in the Middle East and beyond for a long time? This includes, you know, this is basically what the war on terror is about. Uh, the war on terror is the is the projection of that slave master's whip around the world, uh, um, you know, dropping bombs on just kind of almost indiscriminately on people in various countries and many countries around the world through drone strikes, etc. Just for really, when you look at it, there's no real reason for it, you know, uh, well, other than the idea of let's just shoot some missiles off and keep people, you know, on edge, keep them aware who who the the master is, you know. There's one pattern, though, that fits into this, let's say, overarching narrative. Of the countries that the U.S. has bombed, that famous list that um, Wesley Clark talked about when he said he went to the Pentagon the day after 9-11 and somebody just handed him a list of the seven countries we're going mm. to blow the crap out of, um, all of them were major oil-producing countries. Mm-hmm. And I have read, someone did an analysis and said, well, it's interesting how... It, it's almost like the way the U.S. is managing energy needs of the whole planet, or thinks it is, is by destroying markets here and there mm. and keeping others like Iran, Venezuela, under a tight whip, sanctions and so on, making it difficult for them to enter the market. You know, it extends far beyond those seven countries, and I mean, they included Syria, and Syria isn't a, a major oil-producing country, but it's obviously, uh, it's in the Middle East, so it, it uh, and it's an ally with Iran, so it's all tied it's in. The front lines all Iran tied in that way. But I mean, that that list, the list, the unofficial list of countries is is you know dozens and dozens of countries uh, throughout um, kind of uh, throughout Asia and Africa um, that uh, U.S. covert operations have been ongoing, including drone strikes and stuff. You know, you're talking about Pakistan. Obviously, Afghanistan, Pakistan, but uh, um, Africa as well. And, 
you know, it's basically, like I was saying, it's not just about oil, but it's about the entire uh, U.S. kind of black economy, essentially the, the economy, the black economy that the U.S. is built on, an illegal, illicit economy, um, includes, you know, all sorts of dirty deals and access to resources in, in countries all around the world, in Africa, for example, diamonds and mineral oil, mineral wealth and stuff. Um, so they, you know, they just project their power and their bogus war and terror around the world as a means to try and keep control because they fear in a state of paranoia and maybe their paranoia is justified but they certainly have been for a long time afraid that um, you know things were going to change and they could foresee it down the line type of thing and that's what 9-11 was about uh, and they realized the need to reassert their dominance and control and the only way uh, you know they can maintain, they could maintain the international order, which is, you know, controlled uh, by the U.S., was by force. I mean, it's been known for, it's been said and understood amongst uh, these political circles for decades that international order is, is established by force and, uh, and maintained by force. Uh, it obviously makes a complete mockery of democracy and uh, rule of law, international law, etc. But that's the way it's been for a long time, and that's what uh, that's why people don't, uh, you know, the vast majority of people in the world have no idea that that's the way the world works and has worked for a very long time. They most people in this world live in a complete illusion, you know, um, about how the world actually works, and it's kept secret from them by this from them by this elite because the elite don't. Uh, you know, they're aware that, you know, people might not like uh, to understand or to, to to realize the harsh reality of how the world actually works. And that is basically by force and periodically killing uh, wars, etc. Uh, so they keep that from people and they create a narrative, a nice fuzzy bunny rabbit narrative about uh, freedom and democracy and, you know, fighting the good fight and stuff. But that's not what it's about. It's about maintaining uh, U.S. hegemony. Uh, Western hegemony around the world by through force, uh, through naked aggression, and uh, that's the way it's always worked. And um, it's sad that the vast majority of people don't realise that, and, and they're going to pay a price ultimately for it, you know, because they're going to go down. Because you know you can't maintain a global empire indefinitely, and when it falls, then the people in the seat of empire, in particular, uh, suffer the most. Bring it on. Yep. I found something from earlier this year. Ronald Reagan's son, I think it's Mark Reagan. Michael, I think. Michael. Quote, my father got the Saudis to flood the world market with oil, bankrupting the USSR. I suggest that President Obama might want to study how my father defeated the Soviet Union. He did it without firing a shot, as we know, but he had a super weapon, oil. Oil was the only thing the Soviets had in the 1980s that anyone in the rest of the world wanted to buy, and they weren't for sale, except for some H-bombs. They weren't for sale. Um, my father got the Saudis to flood the market with cheap oil in 1985. This lowered, this devalued the ruble, Russia's currency, causing the USSR to go bankrupt, which led to perestroika, freedom and democracy, yada yada, and... Gorbachev's rise to power and the collapse of the USSR. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't that simple, but that was certainly one plank in it. Mm -hmm. And we have a real one here. I've got to think the Russians 
today are remember that. Well, obviously, obviously, yeah, and I mean, and I mean, it's so obvious that they're just retooling their uh, retooling their Cold War. The U.S. is retooling its Cold War um, strategy uh, against Russia. Yeah. It doesn't see any difference between Russia today and the Soviet Union of you know twenty years ago. So um, it's using the same tactics, and it's kind of sad, you know. It's pathetic that this is all they can do. All they can do is uh, is pull an old tired tactic uh, out of the hat and the problem uh, in that respect is that like you just said the Russians are going to spot it straight away and probably had predicted it long ago because it happened before and they figured they're going to do it again I'm not sure what Russia has as part as in in way of a a defense against it but here's um, something certainly what it's doing in the Middle East is a defense against it Russia responds to U.S.-Saudi oil manipulation by dumping dollars yeah. to protect its own currency. That's probably the, the world stays the same and, you know, nothing changes. But in the course of the U.S. doing what it's done decade after decade, whatever about it being overreached militarily, financially, it's far more exposed now than it was then. Yeah. Because everyone else holds the dollar in place. Mm-hmm. If you're in enough of a position that you can start to dump your dollars that you're holding in reserve because that's how you operate in the world trade system today because everything's more or less everything's bought and paid for in dollars. But it's not since, especially since this year, but it's been gradually changing. Mm-hmm. Russia and China doing deals in their own currency, etc. Mm-hmm. And this is the response. This is the this is pretty much the only card anyone can play. Yeah, it was a very effective card. Yeah, uh, because it spells the the end of the U.S. economy that uh, is, is living far beyond its means in the sense that it doesn't produce, it doesn't have to produce, uh, you know, actual enough products. Uh, doesn't have to engage in trade in the same way uh, that other countries do because it can simply print dollars and uh, get stuff for that paper, basically, you know, um, get stuff from everybody just by by, by printing uh, paper money. Um, yeah. Uh, but if uh, if it can no longer do that, um, as one example being that it, those that paper money would no longer be accepted by some major countries in the world, then the U.S. is going to have to actually start producing something and it hasn't it's totally destroyed its economy in the sense of it has relied on simply getting stuff for free via the petrodollar and um uh, so it's not in a position to to suddenly retool the entire economy and start actually making it a a viable economy uh, in in any real way so that would be yeah serious problems for for the u.s but that's they're creating themselves i mean by pushing russia in this way uh, by uh, manipulating the global economy are attempting to, or the the, the oil economy, um, to try and put pressure on Russia to make Russia back down, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're forcing Russia to take action and response, which simply, you know, pushes the U.S. further and further down down the hole. And, uh, you know, yeah, and it's pretty dangerous, you know. I mean, it's kind of like a cornered rat, you know, the, the U.S. government, you know, the, the psychos in Washington are a bunch of bunch of rats who just, they've never known anything else other than complete domination and control on everything for us. And they are not willing. I mean, it's crazy because they could actually back down and put something in place to actually 
equalise the entire system. But that's not what it's about. It's about complete imbalance as far as they're concerned. It's about complete domination and control and everything for them and screw everybody else. And uh, they simply, they're insane. They're not willing to back down from that. If they if they did back down from that, and uh, they would lose. And they cannot possibly ever imagine the idea of them losing uh, or losing their control or, or influence, even to a level that would be reasonable for any other person. But these are psychopaths with a, you know, they're insane. They're not really human. They're, they have a sickness, a greed that is essentially a sickness. And um, they need to be, they're kind of like a rabid dog that needs to be put down, you know. And that's what, you know, when an animal gets uh, <clears throat> gets injured or it has some kind of virus that uh, that can't be cured and it's a danger to others and itself, uh, what happens is that it's put down, you know, it's put out of its misery. In the U.S., uh, elite, the psychopaths in power, need to be put out of their misery. Uh, well, they need to be put out of our misery. If you know. <laughs> the, the thing is, there's, there's no one to do that. I mean, this move by Russia is not a calculated revenge move. This is not even an economic war. The, Russia dumping US dollars is necessitated by the rules of the game because their to, currency yeah. is declining because they now have less profit because, because of the, by the artificially, yeah, yeah. artificially uh, deflated price of oil, they have no option other than the one available to them within yeah. the rules of the game set by psychopaths. Yeah. Well, they're actually very not very intelligent at all because they see Russia and China doing things like buying a lot of gold, and they're not even doing that, you know. So even, it, you th- I mean, in general, psychopaths supposedly have a lower intelligence or IQ than a normal human being who would be creative and find solutions that are not um, bad for them in the long term. The, what the U.S. is doing is a typical reaction of something who will do something that will damage them in the long, in the long run, but because, like Joe was saying, they can't allow for backing down even one step, they'll just destroy themselves. They don't need an external force to destroy themselves. Now, they say that with this TTIP thing, one of this, the main uh, the most promising things will be fracking. But we know what fracking is doing. I mean, they expect that with these sanctions, there was an article on, on RT recently explaining that, you know, basically they, they're forcing all the European countries to apply these sanctions and stuff. And then they're going to say, well, here we are. You know, we can't do business with a lot of people. Russia rejects us. China rejects us. So you're going to start buying gas from us. But how long, What a, what kind of a long-term plan is fracking when we know already the correlation between uh, that exploitation and earthquakes, the environment. Mm-hmm. How are they going to ship it? I mean, right on. Well, it's it's a pipe dream, right. but it's 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 there's still it's when you talk about intelligent, it's not. I mean, the thing is, psychopaths are. Uh, intelligent and cunning, devious kind of way, and that they do things that no one else would do. It's not real intelligence, it, in the sense that the creativity that would well, exactly when they're forced to be creative about something and uh, come up with uh, kind of uh, non-linear, kind of abstract uh, solutions. Let's say to to problems, they can't. All they can do is fall back on their cunning and deviousness. But the problem with that strategy is that once you've done your cunning and your deviousness and your you know manipulative. Uh, strategy and done it to death basically the whole world has seen it uh, repeatedly for decades so they know how you operate and they're able to predict the way that you're going to operate and if you don't have uh, something else to rely on in a sense of a creative response to that uh, then you're screwed you're simply going to do the same thing over and over again and you're going to ultimately you know destroy yourself by continuing to do 
uh, it ultimately it turns into a kind of a self-destructive, uh, taking self-destructive actions. And um, and even in that process, they can't see that they're doing it because, well, maybe they can see it. can't see that they're doing it because they don't have another option to do anything differently. Therefore, they can't admit to themselves that this is going to destroy them. So they have to just keep pushing. They say, no, if we just keep pushing, we'll, you know, it worked before, therefore it'll work again. But they don't take into consideration that other people have figured out what they're doing. And even when it fails one, they can't learn from their mistakes. Yeah. That yeah, being and part of the psychopath. And they're also saddled with the idea of uh, this that underpins their whole kind of uh, psychology is the idea of uh, being reality creators, that they believe that they what they do always happens because they make up reality as it happens. As bizarre as that sounds, that's uh, what the, the psychopathic mind kind of uh, comes up with or the way it sees the world, which is that what I see to be true or what I want to be true is true. And I, you know, they should certainly try to make it true. They're not so delusional. Facts. <clears throat> yeah, they're not so delusional that they just say, "Well, that's true." Now they go ahead and try and make it a reality on the ground, uh, but they think they can continue to do that, uh, and they're wrong because and it boggles people mind. are waking up. It boggles mind because they even destroy. I mean, the only way they have, the only thing they know how to do is destroy and conquer, and they're destroying even the potential slaves, basically. They they go ahead and bomb the hell of, out of the Middle East. They bomb the east of Ukraine. I mean, well, they didn't supposedly, but and they're destroying the natural resources and infrastructure of those very places that they want ultimately to be their slaves. They destroy the country within. Yep. So I mean, it's just crazy. It's madness. It's, 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 it's crazy, madness. and yet you see, they're like, well, the, the world's a bigger place. You see, they start from the viewpoint that the world is ours. So if there's a few torch-radiated uh, no-go zones for a while, well, you know, that's just the price of... Yeah. Those those are just little... And if, it, if it happens in other people's backyards, it's not our problem. If it happens in our backyards, we'll move, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that's why they have always seen the world. And there's another example of the way the world has always worked in that uh, they see the world as... Uh, as theirs, essentially. I mean, myself and Neil were talking earlier in the week about uh, how, who was it, Madeleine Albright said a, f- uh, a number of years ago, uh, opining on Russia's problem, which yeah. was that Russia had a lot of natural resources and uh, didn't know or wasn't able or willing or whatever to exploit them and make them available to for humanity. Everybody asked for humanity, i.e. Yeah. Well, for the USA, right? Yeah. Uh, so she was saying, like, you've got stuff and you need to give it to me. It's like you going over to your neighbor's house and saying, listen, you've got all this stuff in your house there and, uh, and it would be good for me to have that and to share in it and to exploit it. And uh, you're not, you're just storing it there. I mean, you should give it to me, you know, and I'll make good use of it. And uh, yeah. And when you say no, he says, well, that's unreasonable. I'm just going to go and have to, I'm going to have to go and take it off you. You know what I mean? You forced me to take this. I mean, you're being unreasonable. You're keeping your own resources for yourself. Just that's the one unreasonable. That, uh, that said Siberia is too large and rich to belong to one country. And what right. it needs is foreign investment. Uh, you know? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. two things are related. <laughs> but Joe mentioned that she said that Russia has a gap between its knees and its actual resources was abbreviated to that. Somebody, I think, said that's basically what you meant, that Siberia is too big for one country, for Russia. Yeah, well, Russia is too big a country for 170 million people, right? It's a very big country. There are not enough you people there, and you should just open it up to the rest of us, you know? She she took the bait and she took issue with that statement, that abbreviated one, that Siberia is too big for Russia. 
I never said that. I never said that. And they turned it into, oh, that was the Kremlin propagandizing. However, her original statements in the late 90s were, that's what you meant, for sure. That, uh, hello, Russia has got all these resources, but they don't, what's the exact quote? They don't make them available for humanity. Mm. She didn't even try to use corporate uh, economic terms. She, she appealed to your sense of humanity, you know. Uh, and this is that's an imperial mindset, you know. Yeah. That that goes back to the empire, modern or the modern era of modern history, <clears throat> the British Empire, as a notable notable example that they, those people who were the architects of empire, saw the entire world as theirs. You know, I mean, it's that's kind of self evident. You have these bunch of, you know, aristocratic, toffee nosed assholes sitting in in their mansions in England on this little island off the west coast of Europe and they somehow imagine the rest of the world to be theirs for the exploitation, including the people. I mean that that, that basic mindset is abnormal. Yeah. You know? What's doubly twisted about are that Russia would long since have developed its interior and its far east if it had not first been Arrested in 1917. Yeah. The Russian, Russian Empire was Revolution. already developing the East. And then later, the fall of the US. It's basically been held in on cold storage for most of the 20th century by the whole bogus Cold War bullshit. And that was all for the purpose of yeah. making sure that Russia could not exploit um, its resources and that its population as well would remain relatively low and, um, <clears throat> and therefore wouldn't become the kind of world power that it should be by dint of its um, of its size and its position, you know, uh, it's, it's a general thing though. This this staking out resources and keeping them on file. Mm-hmm. We know from from the the volume of stuff they found off the west coast of Ireland in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. I mean, the exploration was done then. They've since found more stuff, mm-hmm. but it's only today that they're beginning extraction and still trying to keep the true. Value. Scale and value of what's available out there, very, very hush hush. Yep. Same in the North Sea, of Keep course. Ourselves. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell the people who own it. No. Um, Least of all, most are of all. Are you saying England's too big for for one country? The yeah, North Sea oil reserves are too big for England. They should share their resources <laughs> with yeah. humanity. Exactly. But you know, I mean, theoretically, there's nothing wrong with that idea that you know. The resources of the planet should be available to um, more people that are sitting on them, for example. Uh-huh. And was, they would be they if would. fair trade actually meant something. Yeah, if it was reasonable and if it was, you didn't have one group of people wanting to funnel everything up uh, to them and keep pretty much the rest of the people impoverished, you know. So it's a twisted version of something that uh, isn't unreasonable. Uh, it becomes unreasonable when you add in the psychopathic factor and it's basically everything for me. Uh, no matter how much, and the, the, back to this idea of greed, a sickness of, of greed in the sense that uh, there's never enough. One, these these people, the, these elite can never have enough. doesn't matter how much. They want all of it and more. And with that attitude, you're, they'll destroy the planet. You know, they'll eat the planet up until, like we've discussed in the past, like a virus, again, that doesn't uh, know that by destroying the body, that, it, that hosts it, it's going to be destroyed itself in the fires that burn the dead body that it just killed. So they're like a virus, you know. We've had a, a show in the past on the Wetigo virus, or Wetigo, 
uh, virus, and it's just an analogy for what's going on on the planet today, you know. And well, um, Putin was asked about the U.S. Saudi Arabia manipulation of the oil prices on Friday. This was after the Asia Europe meeting in Milan, Italy. So basically, you know, heads of state from all over Asia and Europe got together, discussed a whole bunch of things. One being the gas crisis in in Ukraine coming up and Europe this coming up this winter, and the the journalist asked Putin, you know, basically saying, "Oh, there are rumors that there's this secret U.S. Saudi Arabian uh, deal that went on." And so Putin answered another of his questions, and he, he waited to get around to this part, and then he says, "As for the conspiracy theory, uh, I won't, I don't know the quote directly, but as for the conspiracy theory, um, yeah, sure." Con- we could, we should always keep conspiracies on the table. Like they're always a possibility. And he said, but in this case, if, if these conspirators or this conspiracy actually exists, then these people um, are basically shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. He, he went into some numbers basically saying that if oil stays at $80 a barrel or whatever the, the measurement is, um, that there are, I think he mentioned Shell or some, American companies at $80 is the break-even point. Mm-hmm. And so the longer this goes on, um, there are going to be Western oil companies mm-hmm. that are going to be suffering from this. Mm-hmm. So it's, he, he, well, he never sounds worried about anything, but <laughs> Putin, of course, came ac- he came across as being like, well, you know, this isn't such a big deal because sure, it'll it'll hurt us a little bit, but, but we've got plans, we've got, uh, you know, all this, we've got gold reserves and all these things set up for, for um, for taking care of the of the ruble if it devalues any further and mm-hmm. keeps on, but we're not too worried because things will level out and they'll suffer just as much as we will. Yeah, so yeah, pretty much they're willing to you know starve themselves and cut off their noses and spite their faces just to mm-hmm. to try and uh, in this insane agenda to kind of take down Russia and put it back, put it put it back in its place, and it's madness. I mean, increasingly when you look at stuff going on, the, you try and figure out strategy behind it, something that makes sense, and you come up blank, basically, that there is no uh, sense behind it, that it ultimately boils down to pure madness. Uh, we're living a planet uh, on the mad train, and it's hurtling down the tracks to Madville, and, uh, <laughs> you know, enjoy the, enjoy the trip. Chu mentioned uh, fracking in relation to earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Well, we already knew this. People in the U.S. know this already. But for what it's worth, um, a meta-study out this week found that a definite connection, I mean, scientists are sure of it now, that multiple earthquakes going off in the U.S. are directly caused by the fracking there. They mentioned in passing, because there was a meta-study looking at other countries, it's also a problem in the U.K., British Columbia, Canada, and I thought this was symbolic, Poland Township in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fracking is ridiculous. Uh, we've talked about it before, apart from uh, its association with earthquakes. Um, it also destroys or pollutes the, the groundwater. It has done in America, uh, in California in particular, has polluted the groundwater in California while California is experiencing an unprecedented drought as an example of complete insanity. But that's what they want to do. And they're talking now about, you know, part of their strategy for, for quite a long time now has been to, uh, you know, uh, attack Russia um, by 
like this came out of the whole Maidan Ukraine thing where they want to uh, reduce European dependence on on Russian oil and gas by um, by fracking America uh, and then transporting the gas to to Europe and that's just a complete pipe dream that's, that's never going to happen because they'll create some major earthquake uh, <laughs> uh, before that happens and and they're also doing it uh, the Brits surprise surprise the pusillanimous lackeys that they are are uh, are are fully on board with it as well and recently a few months ago passed a law um where kind of uh, people no longer have any right to claim ownership over the ground underneath their houses i.e. they can they're going to be fracking um the hell out of England uh, under people's houses, and uh, and they passed a law in Parliament that people could not uh, complain about this. If if they drill underneath your house, uh, all right, it's quite deep and stuff, but still, it's underneath your house or underneath your garden. Uh, you have no recourse, and if you can, you can't complain about it. If you try to stop, I mean, it's basically law. If you try to stop them, if you try to um, stage a protest, you'll be thrown in jail. Um, how, do, how do they frame that in the interests of national security? Ultimately, yeah. It's national security, but it's uh, they they equate it simply with like you know, well, dr- you know, drilling for oil in the North Sea or or anywhere else, you know, exploiting the natural resources. Uh, it's unreasonable for anybody to 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 try and prevent the authorities from exploiting the natural resources for the benefit of the people. But of course, it's slightly different uh, now that they're going to be drilling under. And when I say under people's houses, I mean, I mean under major urban areas as well, uh, under cities. Um, so, you know, there you go. The government did the same recently. They're all kind of accepting if they can or whatever there is going on in them. Yeah. Um, <coughs> last year, the UK, for the first time in I don't know how long, officially began ex- import importing more food than not than it, it, yes it needed to import food for the first time just to meet its basic needs where up till this point it's been self sufficient and at the same time i mean the the farmers in, in England are basically facing financial ruin from fracking and it's barely got off the ground there mm-hmm. and they they have no right to compensation for for loss of incomes from no from crops i mean that's just shooting yourself in the feet, the arms, the head, the neck, the shoulder. It's just, just riddle yourself. Bullets right on you. Yeah. So, Ebola. Ebola! Don't be saying that on a plane, by the way. Anybody on a train, <laughs> or in a, in, even in your automobile. Or on a cruise ship. Or on a cruise ship. Apparently the guy on the cruise ship off uh, Belize has, uh, has tested negative. But there was also... Uh, a few days ago, an Ebola scare uh, closed the Pentagon entrance um, and it kept bus passengers quarantined for hours. Uh, a woman, a woman, uh, I think she might have been a worker at the Pentagon, um, she threw up in the car park when she got out of her car. And uh, so they quarantined the whole area, thinking that she, so thinking she might have Ebola. So if you throw up anywhere, I mean, it could have been theoretically, it could have been an asymmetric kind of warfare.
Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host pin. When finished, press the pound key. I'm sorry, but I did not hear you press at least four digits of your PIN number. I'm sorry, but I did not hear you press at least four digits of your PIN number. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host pin. When finished, press the pound key. I'm sorry, but I did not hear you press at least four digits of your pin number. I'm sorry, but I did not hear you press at least four digits of your pin number. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Bacon. 
So what about, <clears throat> what about now, everybody? Can anybody hear us? Nada. Nobody can hear nothing. This is just being probably just being recorded. Oh, well, hang on. Yes, they can hear us. Okay, this is a very unconventional way that we're doing this. We're actually calling ourselves. So uh, the hosts uh, on uh, on the show tonight, uh, unfortunately, are uh, callers. So hi, it's great to be here. It's awesome. Well, yeah. Welcome to all of us here. Um, Who has questions for me? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is we're gonna have to get on the blog talk video and find out why this why this happened. But um, they have a new setup. But anyway, uh, if the uh, Hopefully the audios. Yeah, pretty much we're phoning ourselves. Whatever works is right. So uh, we're phoning ourselves through Skype. Um, so as we were saying, Ebola, the asymmetric warfare. Asymmetric warfare by Ebola. This lady in the Pentagon car park who um, who threw up and caused a quarantine situation. A lockdown. The they locked it down. Because theoretically she could have been, it could have been asymmetric warfare. She could have been... Uh, she could have been an ISIS undercover Ebola virus. Yeah, yeah she carrier. could have been a, and you know, a that jihadi, you know. Obama was hugging the nurses and staff yeah. that were... That what what was he guy. thinking? Did he, he kiss them? He said he kissed them, yep. He said he hugged, kissed them, shook their hands. So he already knows something that... Uh, yeah. Something that we don't then, does he? Well, I read this week that the troops they started sending, they started arriving in Liberia, these 4,000 U.S. troops. Let me just see if I got this straight. I couldn't believe when I first heard it. They got four hours training that's directly anything to do with the actual Ebola virus. They're not even bringing hazmat suits, just like some, you know, paper gas mask, uh, paper what do they call those masks? Surgical masks. They're basically, they, it's as if they've gone there and nothing is wrong with the place. They're either super unprepared or they have something that the rest of us don't have. I wonder if they've been given some kind of like vaccination. Well, that I, they think is a sure thing. I doubt it. I mean, it's, <clears throat> I mean, last week we said that, um, but they weren't hyping this very much. You know, other people are saying that it's being hyped and we're saying they're not really hyping it. The media isn't hyping it. And in fact, the media is talking about it a lot, but they tend to be playing it down. Um, the, the, the hysteria around it seems to be coming from the average people or the media is trying to suggest that people are being hysterical or getting all worked up and they're putting out all sorts of articles to say, listen, don't freak out. It's not a problem. Why Ebola will never come here? Why Ebola? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah, they're not using it at this point anyway for mass vaccinations or something like that, like they did with uh, with, uh, with the swine flu, the bird flu, where they started getting everybody to get flu flu shots a few years ago. But um, it's not just the U.S. US military that's being sent. The British are planning to send 3,000 troops uh, to Sierra, Sierra Leone, uh, supposedly to set up military blockades or a strict movement in an attempt to stop the virus spreading. But... The fact of the matter is, is that Western governments, etc., have a long uh, history in these West African nations in Sierra Leone and neighboring Liberia, the two main countries where Ebola <coughs> is is uh, is spreading or has started. Um, uh, both of them, in particular, Sierra Leone has a 
It's one of the top 10 diamond producing countries in the world. It has a major, large amount of uh, mineral, uh, kind of iron and different mineral reserves as well. Uh, both, of those, both of those countries also have a long history over the past 20, 30, 40 years since independence because they were British colonies uh, until the 60s. Uh, they have a long history of internal conflict, all of it, you know, coup and counter-coup, etc., all of it with the uh, hands of Western intelligence agencies all over them. Um, Liberia, for example, was uh, a place where Charles Taylor, a uh, famous Liberian uh, dictator, who was who is officially recognized or has been recognized a few years ago that he was working, uh, was basically a paid agent of the CIA. So, when you see Ebola in Sierra Leone and Liberia, you have to put it in the context of uh, the U.S. governments and intel agencies being all over those countries for many years and fully involved in creating conflict and ensuring that conflict continues using mercenaries, not just governments, but also um, uh, Western corporations, for example, the corporations, including Israeli corporations that uh, deal in diamonds and uh, mining companies, all of them using mercenaries to fuel conflict, etc., to, uh, to try and get uh, access to to the wealth of the country, you know. So I don't Ebola. I think it is a bit of a scare at this point. I don't think it's. I don't think they are taking it seriously. Put it that way. Whether or not Ebola uh, is actually a threat uh, in terms of it becoming a becoming a pandemic. Uh, it's um, the Western governments aren't taking it seriously. Yeah. Well, we suspect it could be. It could be a pandemic, even if it fades away and just comes back in subsequent seasons. This has the potential to be. And I've seen, I've seen. Um, there was an article on uh, a right wingish. What does that mean in the US? On Breitbart.com, it wasn't making any kind of claims, but it was doing a kind of a, a rough history of the plague and how it's returned time and time again and connecting it to Ebola. Um, that is a rational suggestion to make that this has periodically happened where something has come along that has been absolutely devastating to masses of people. Uh, even if this is not yet, it could be. But I think the powers that be don't understand that. Mm. They're not looking at it like that at all. No. If you're if you're in the vicinity of someone with it, you should be. It is a direct threat, yeah. for sure. If you get it, it's a super big threat. Um, but yeah, I've seen you see the mixed messages, uh, like CNN anchors. Yeah, they got in trouble supposedly for making fun of the whole scare mm-hmm. and doing a little in-house joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean. Uh, in terms of, I mean, it's probably one of the least kind of virulent, um, you know, viruses that have, uh, at least in theory, that have been around over the past few years. You know, I mean, it, it's not airborne. You can't technically get it by someone sneezing beside you. You know, you have to be come in contact with the body fluids. It doesn't seem to be spreading uh, at a rate that would suggest that it's being transmitted uh, by air or that it's has a real kind of longevity in, in the sense of you know, spreading around through the air. Uh, you think that a lot more people, at least in, in these East African countries, would um, would would have contracted it by now. It's, well, it's been what it's been three months, yeah. or four months, and, it's, in, and you have 
what, 9,000 people. In terms of how it, the scare is playing out in the West, people on the ground in Liberia, there are some voices there saying it's worse than yeah. they're officially reporting. Yeah. But and some do say that supposedly they have proof that it is airborne, but like you say, the numbers don't. Don't the numbers don't match up? And what about these people who uh, who came back who come to Spain? There's been at least uh, two or three in Spain. There's been people in uh, some wings in Macedonia. There's been somebody. Uh, there've been people obviously in the U.S. And uh, uh, if it's airborne, they were they were breathing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so. It's hard just, to tell. I mean, but so, it's true that they're playing it down. I mean, there was the uh, the clipboard man. They baptized him uh, this week. Did you hear about that one? There was mm-hmm. a, a picture of um, a patient going back to the U.S. So he's in a, he or she is in a yellow suit. Those uh, what do you call it? Biohazard mm-hmm. suits. And then there's three uh, healthcare workers going with him or her to the plane. And there's this guy that suddenly shows up with a clipboard in his. And then he's just not wearing anything, you know, so people start saying, oh, my God, you know. And maybe they didn't do it on purpose. I mean, the excuse they gave was that it's because the suits are so, um, they restrict your vision too much and mobility so that they needed somebody who could see and hear to watch them where to walk, you know. And he's a, he's going to be a hero because he, he took it for the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just a, any and nothing that they do seems to have any sense. I mean, if they were taking it really, really seriously. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there was this actors thing. Yeah. Where like people started, oh, it's all actors. It reminded me of your article, Joe, on the uh, Boston bombings. You know, mm. it's like I, I was I was watching some of those videos today, and they are ridiculous. Like it's, this thing has just taken off. You know, since. Sandy Hook and Boston bombings to the point where it is just absurd. Like any video footage, any photograph, these guys on YouTube will be like, "Oh, and this is just this hundred percent proves that Ob- that Ebola is a total hoax." It's like, look at this guy; he's totally a crisis actor. Um, and, like crisis actors everywhere, yeah, everywhere. So that means that some somehow they do want to make people. Think that there's something crazy. It's all conspiracy. If there's a panic thing or a lot of spread. Oh no! I, these I are think actors. that's more of a symptom of the schizophrenia in the West. That, mm-hmm. in this case, that <clears throat> now if somebody could get on that and say, let's yeah, let's push that. That's gonna mm-hmm. be fun. But it's more a symptom of the state of people's minds that they can't no longer discern mm-hmm. reality from the whole world's a stage and everything. Every minor detail is pre-planned down to that mm-hmm. clipboard man. You know. What is fact, though, is U.S. troops, British troops are arriving in West Africa. Now, tomorrow is the third anniversary of the assassination of Muammar Gaddafi. He was the biggest obstruction to the U.S. especially, but let's say the Western Empire, getting a foothold, an actual military base on Africa. Apparently, there was none. I was surprised to learn that there was no no British or U.S. base on African soil until 2011, and that's because of Gaddafi. He was trying to unite Africa behind an African Union that would work to its own interest. And there was the competing venue for an integrated Africa was the U.S. AFRICOM, mm-hmm. Africa Command. Which was a military command. A military command, but still remember only a concept. It never until now 
that troops are pouring into West Africa never became an actual, well, no, they started pouring in obviously once Libya fell in the north of Africa, but AFRICOM was more concept than um, actual U.S. bases in Africa until then. Of course, the, the main reason when you get back up to the economics of it all is that China had been making massive inroads mm-hmm. in terms of trade deals across Africa. Exactly, but it comes back to what we've been saying is that in the last 10 or 20 years, let's put it back 20 years since the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, these Western, the Anglo-American empire mongers uh, have you know, hit on a plan that they needed to do something uh, to secure their hegemony around the world. And they, I mean, the whole war and terror and everything is, is about projecting that power and controlling the rest of the world as much as possible. And they, you know, they probably they, at that time, they probably foresaw China and possibly even Russia, although at the time they figured they had Russia under control, but certainly by the late, mid to late 90s, they realized that Russia wasn't playing ball. And, I mean, since then, they've been frantically attempting to to control most of uh, as much of the world as possible and project their power all over the place and bomb the crap out of everybody just to keep them in line. Um, but just on the Ebola thing, uh, the Spanish nurse who was uh, the first person to contract Ebola outside of West Africa has tested negative. That's uh, breaking news uh, just in. So... There are no Ebola patients in the West, really. Well, the only one was that guy who died. Was it the guy in America died? Yeah. The first guy died, uh, but he got it in Africa. But so far, there's nobody who's died. Did he die as well? Mm-hmm. Okay, but they all got it in Africa. So nobody has contracted. There's nobody with Ebola right now. No, there is. I there I I thought well maybe there's the news on it but the the healthcare worker that was working on the guy that died in America in right okay yeah but then is she confirmed he or she confirmed you know I don't know for sure but the Spanish nurse was it uh, was like a couple of weeks ago yeah and suddenly now it's just come out and said oh no not Ebola it, it's all so shoddy and so you know vague that I don't know the whole thing stinks in some way or other and. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just a sign to humanity that you know, you know that there's it's a it's a, it's a symbol essentially of the uh, of the infection, the the, um, the infection of psychopathy amongst the population. You know, it's a little teaser or taster of of um, of what can happen as a result of uh, this virus of of psychopathy infecting the minds of the population. It's just the first one. I think, I don't know, Ebola, I would say Ebola won't actually, at least in its current incarnation, won't actually go pandemic and, and, and kill everybody. I think another one, something else will pop up somewhere along the line because, I mean, there's so many options for it. There's a, there's a story about um, vermin, mainly rats, mm-hmm. in, uh, in New York City are host to at least 18 new viruses that have never before been encountered and are effectively unknown to science. So, and you know, there's millions of rats running around uh, under New York City and a lot of them 
are also running around on the top floors of uh, corporate buildings, and they they have viruses as well. Um, but these, you know, I mean, 18 new viruses that were never before encountered have never before been encountered and are unknown to science are being carried by rats. So there's plenty of scope there for anything to pop up, you know, and I think if you look back at the way that the previous plagues or viral infections spread, and there haven't been that many, I mean, you have to go back to the Black Death, well, Spanish flu did, did quite a number, but it was the flu, but I mean, I think it, it happens, if, if Ebola was going to be something major, it probably would have shown that it's going that that, that that's where it's going uh, by now essentially it wouldn't still be contained more or less in in two small East African countries with a relatively small number of people and you know the thing is like when you read accounts about the plague too you see uh, some testimonies where they they say it was all the black death you know but the symptoms vary slightly mm-hmm. So, I mean, for all we know, if there's going to be something major, it's not Ebola, because Ebola has never really spread and it's been around for for a long time. But people are manifesting the same symptoms. They go to the hospital, know you tested negative, go home, whatever, and it may spread later down the road. Say if it's a new virus, completely unknown, they can't test for it, they can't recognize it, anything, it could still spread or it'll come later. Mm-hmm. But because now there's the Ebola thing, they immediately su- suspect it was, and they're like, no, you're free to go. Well, exactly. Like, I mean, a lot of people are saying, why is there no travel ban on on the countries, Sierra Leone, uh, Liberia, and Guinea? Uh, why are there no travel bans being imposed by Western countries? And they're, they're not imposing travel bans. So that doesn't mean that necessarily that it's all safe, but... You'd think if if it was clear to them that there was a serious risk of infection, that there would be some movement to at least do that. I mean, that's you know, that's that's the first kind of yeah. first, first phase of of action against something that is known to be a threat. Because uh, even psychopathic power would, you know, sanction such such a, a plan or a policy because they would it would be pretty clear to them that. Uh, yeah, we don't want you know viruses coming and killing all these people that are our slaves and maybe even ourselves. You know, I mean, there's a bit of self-preservation in that sense. So there would be some policies like that being put in place. But obviously, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that isn't being told. Uh, a lot of stuff known. Uh, whether they whether it's true or not, uh, it's it's pretty clear that there's that there's stuff not being said by the authorities about. Ebola by people working there and people who are looking at it, people in kind of uh, in, in the CDC in the US and stuff. Um, they're clearly not too worried about it. Yeah, we know they've been there since 2009, at least. We know the CDC supposedly patented some strain of Ebola. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's scope for complicity at some level in this particular outbreak. Mm. I think it's interesting that the people clamor, it's it's ordinary people clamoring for uh, shutting down air travel. Another, what in any other situation would be an extreme police state maneuver to do mm. that would be an edict issued from on high. Mm. And in this case, you have the people clamoring for mm-hmm. it. 
Isn't it an interesting indication of the state of mind of the masses? That they, of their own suggestion and free will, will invite such things, you know? Close the borders, shut down air travel. Please, please, save us, protect us. And what this all shows us, this is a warning that in this world, they cannot protect us from Mm. this thing. Look at how many mistakes and quotes and uh, obvious instances of idiocy just in coping with this small Mm -hmm. infection they've shown. We are in no way equipped to deal with anything like this. And that's why the general trend from uh, media and uh, the authorities in regard to Ebola has been to play it down because they don't want people uh, getting carried away and, you know, um, getting worked up about it and, and demanding certain things happen that the government isn't willing to do, you know, because that then creates the impression that, well, you're not here to protect us, you don't care, you know, it can lead to a kind of a social uh, discontent kind of scenario, you know, where people get too carried away, too hysterical about something, you know, so they're trying to play that down, you know, because um, they don't have an answer for it. They, don't, they can't make money out of it, out of this particular situation. In the past, you know, they, they ramped up bird flu and swine flu and, uh, and got a lot of people to take, uh, take the vaccine. And people even today are still taking, every year taking vaccines for normal flu. Uh, so they made a lot of money off that. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies made a lot of money off governments, i.e. off the people, i.e. your tax money. Uh, so, um, but they're not, they're not doing that here. There's no sign of them developing a vaccine. They're saying like by the end of 2015, there may ha- they may have a vaccine or something uh, against Ebola, but then that's a long term and, you know, is anything going to happen? I mean, these people, like we said in the previous shows, these people are not willing to put any money into any medical uh, treatment because it takes a lot of money for the development of uh, a new medicine, essentially. And they're not willing to put that in unless they're going to get, you know, a thousand percent profit back. And right now, there's only very few African people who are suffering from this, then they don't matter, right? So, um, no, we're not we're not going to follow that, that course of action, you know? Anyway, uh, yeah, Ebola is just, you know, just, it's an opportunity to keep your head on your shoulders type of thing. Well, and the other thing is that um, for a virus to get into your body, your immune system has to be compromised, and that's one of the problems in Africa, too, you know? And nobody's doing anything about hunger and and famine. Mm-hmm. Actually, the only one who did something recently was Putin once again. He was thanked, thanked by the uh, the president of Guinea, Conde is his name, because he sent humanitarian aid and special labs and, mm-hmm. you know, like, but they were focusing on actually feeding the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what does Obama do? Send soldiers? Yeah, send soldiers. I mean, yeah. they're not even treating the root of the problem. They don't care. The soldiers, yeah. the soldiers going to, Lib- to Liberia and Sierra Leone, uh, the British and American soldiers are there as a kind of a security measure on behalf of the governments in question, in the U.S. and the U.K., to uh, observe the situation. They've obviously they come with civilian uh, intelligence types as well, and um, they're there to assess the situation and to secure their interests essentially, and their interests are economic interests, as in the exploitation of the resources of those countries. They want to be on the ground to get kind of an eye, eyes on uh, 
uh, assessment of the situation and be able to give feedback about what kind of implications is this having politically. Yeah. They don't care about uh, kind of medically, the medical implications of it because they're not interested. What they're interested in is the resources of those countries and keeping their, their stake secure in those countries. Um, and the best way to do it is saying from soldiers. So, you know, because when they say soldiers, because there's, there are groups within that country, both, both countries have a, a history of internal conflict fomented by the West. And, you know, so you're saying that the military attachment um, for security reasons, but with that military attachment is, are the advisors who are there to make sure that Western interests are maintained. Because, you know, if it gets out of hand in Liberia or Sierra Leone, it could lead to a change in government. You know, there's all sorts of political implications with this, you know, potentially. So that's what they're there for. Yeah, and regional too. Not far away is Nigeria, mm. where there's vast oil wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Shell, U.S. companies. Yeah. And, of course, we know that Boko Haram, which is basically has been paired with ISIS, mm-hmm. is causing mayhem there. So it could be a tie-in with Nigeria also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We so, don't have any messages from McCain this week. No. Unfortunately, he, he's been rather silent. But we do have something from Jen Psaki at the State Department. She was asked about, uh, or she's giving a press conference with some of the U.S. Navy. Here we go. Russia. Revisionist Russia? Yeah, what, what, what does that mean? Well, the secretary? Yeah, Secretary Hagel. I think what he's referring to there is that uh, that there appears to be in their intentions and their motives um, uh, a, uh, a, call, a calling back to uh, the glory days of the Soviet uh, Union. He also used the phrase that its army, meaning Russia's army on NATO's doorstep. Um, why is that? Is, is it not logical to look at this and say the reason that the Russian army is on NATO, uh, the, the Russian army is at NATO's doorstep is because NATO has expanded rather than the, the Russians expanding? That, in other words, Duh. NATO has moved closer to Russia rather than Russia moving closer to NATO. Is that not an accurate way to look at this? I think that's the way President Putin probably looks at it. It's certainly not but the way that we look at it. You don't, you don't think that NATO has expanded eastward toward Russia? NATO has expanded, okay. and, and the expansion so the has reason, been a good thing for... So the reason that the Russian army is at NATO's doorstep is not the fault of the Russian army. Not the, it's not the Russian army that's done it. It's NATO has moved closer to move east. I'm pretty east. sure it wasn't NATO who was ordering you know, upwards of 15 battalion tactical groups to within 10 kilometers of the border with Ukraine. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't NATO... <laughs> Who put little green men inside Ukraine to destabilize okay. Eastern well, I'm states? I'm pretty sure that Ukraine is not a member of NATO. So unless that's changed, it's not, it's not okay. changed. But I'm so, pretty sure the movement by Russia is NATO, has, If NATO has moved east, the reason that the Russian army is closer or on NATO's doorstep is because NATO moved. Not NATO is not an, an anti-Russia alliance. NATO is a security alliance. <laughs> For 50 years, it was an anti-Soviet alliance. So do you not understand it? Do you not understand how, or can you not even see how the Russians would perceive it as as a threat? And the fact that it keeps getting closer to their border, while their troops 
I mean, the, the places where their troops are, you say their troops are, and may, may have been in Ukraine and Georgia, are not NATO members. I don't have, I'm not going to pretend to know what goes in President Putin's mind or Russian military commanders. I mean, okay. I barely got a history degree at the University of South Florida. Right. What I can tell you, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you is that, is that uh, NATO is a defensive alliance. It remains a defensive alliance. Fair enough, but it has moved east. Correct? I mean, that's just a fact. It has expanded, absolutely. Right, exactly. But there's no reason reason for anybody to think the expansion is a hostile or threatening move. And we've been saying that throughout the last 15 years, Matt. You're you're moving closer to Russia. You're blaming the Russians for being close to NATO. No, no, no. That's exactly what Hegel said. We're blaming the Russians for violating the territorial integrity of Ukraine and destabilizing the security situation. Which is not a NATO member. Which is not a NATO member. I, I, I see Other countries feel threatened that are NATO members. Well, we can just do a couple more. Go ahead, Pam. Other countries are trembling in their boots, and the big, brave American <laughs> NATO armies have to protect them. Nice one, Jen. She dodged, she dodged that way. Yeah. Moving on. I know, yeah. I mean, that guy's such an idiot. You know, it's such a such an obvious thing that the reporter was trying to, to point out, and the guy was like, you know, he should have said it depends on what your perspective is. You know, he said, uh, you know, I'm sure that's Russian perspective, but that's not our perspective. What he should have said was, depends what reality you live in. You know, Russia, uh, the, NATO isn't expanding towards uh, NATO isn't moving closer towards Russian borders. It's simply expanding in a certain direction that may or may not involve <laughs> proximity to Russia. But Russia should not be afraid about that because NATO. Is an entirely benevolent organization that is merely focused yeah. on defense and handing out cookies and handing out cookies. Except that, yes, it was an anti-Soviet organization and was aggressively anti-Soviet. But as the guy said, the military guy said, you know, where's the Soviet Union now? Well, yeah, the Russian Federation isn't the Soviet Union anymore. Very good. But you just said that NATO was alarmed by. Uh, what did he say? Revisionist, revisionist, a revisionist Soviet, uh, revisionist Russia, Russia i.e., the Soviet Union. <laughs> so you just kind of like shot yourself in the foot there, or you stuck your foot in your mouth and then shot it, because uh, you pretty much made it clear that the U.S. military and NATO sees Russia, the Russian Federation today as the Soviet Union, and therefore NATO is fulfilling its role as anti-Russian, anti-Soviet Union. And therefore, the Russian Federation and Putin, etc., have every right to feel threatened by your clear expansion towards Russia. I mean, the whole conversation is just like, I wanted to shoot myself in the head. Oh, I want to shoot them first. <laughs> and then if I felt better, I wouldn't shoot myself in the head. But uh, just amazing. And Jen Saki, you know, she, did you hear what she started up? Well, I don't think it was in that one. In that actual, in that clip, but in the full hour-long, boring, mind-numbing press release, she starts, she comes into the room and says, Happy Thursday, everybody. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. God. <sighs> anyway, uh, yeah, that's funny. The whole thing's funny. Hey, Neil, it's all about liquid borders for natives. <laughs> yeah, liquid borders. I want to purify. Yeah, the, I want to liquefy. The, the facts are, are fluid. In the, in the same answer he gave, he can hold two opposite thoughts. Oh, it's because Russia's revisionist. Oh, but how can Russia possibly think that what we're doing is anti-Russian? You know, it's like... Yeah, and what do you call them? I mean, that, that, that came immediately after um, 
Lavrov, or or maybe Lavrov said this afterwards, the Russian foreign minister said that, uh, uh, or, uh, I think he said it, it was the title of an article, he said, we're sorry for putting our uh, for putting our borders so close to all your bases, <laughs> all your bases, yeah. Uh, even though our borders were kind of there several hundred years before your bases, but anyway, we're sorry about putting them there. Um, so the whole thing's just you. You wonder why you have to. I mean, you're better off doing a comedy skit on stuff like that. You know, it should be a. It's for comedians to deal with that kind of thing because it's so comical. In an insane kind of way in itself, uh, it it doesn't. It's almost like there's no need to really comment on it. It's just that's what RT is done. They have Jen Psaki's yeah top five, and they just put her video clips one after the other. <laughs> they just leave it at that. No comment. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, oh, by the way, this week uh, they formally gave a name to the operation in the Middle East. You know, they had just started doing stuff ad hoc. And, and and this is how insane this is. They're naming the operation now Operation Inherent Resolve. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't. Inherent Resolve. Yeah, it sounds like it's, someone's really thought it up. Um, the whole thing's nonsensical. Um, but, you know, ISIL, ISIS, those people, they're, merc- they're mercenaries uh, in the employ of, ultimately in the employ of Western Western governments, different Western kind of covert operation groups uh, like JSOC and, and things like that. Um, but they're also, you know, I mean, the monarchies in the Middle East are controlling them and the monarchies in the Middle East are fully, you know, they were established, they were put in power, you know, 100 years ago or so by uh, the British and by the Americans, they're essentially client regimes. So therefore, ISIL and ISIS are essentially Western-backed, owned mercenaries, and they do exactly the same thing that um, that uh, U.S. and uh, British military personnel do and have been doing, which is that they kill uh, innocent people. Uh, that's what the U.S. military does, so it has been doing for a long time. They kill women, children, pregnant women, disabled people. You know, that's what they've been doing in Iraq, as they've been doing in Afghanistan. You know, they kick down doors and shoot people and then uh, dig the bullets out of the bodies and walk away uh, and then cover it up. You know, these people are just, you know, the U.S. military is simply a gang of murderers. You know, uh, I'm not going to discriminate between the ones who do and don't do that. They all represent the same uh, power structure and uh it's their, a protection their, racket. Their main effect on the planet and on people on the planet has been to, to murder people out of hand, uh, to assassinate people, assassinate women and children, either directly or from the skies. That's no different from what uh, this ISIL group does, and that's because ISIL are essentially the same. The U.S. military are a bunch of mercenaries. ISIL are mercenaries. They do exactly the same thing. So, you know, the fact that people are surprised or horrified or whatever by what ISIL does to people... Well, you know, that's just because you don't know what your own army, your own military does to people and has been doing to people for a long, a, a long time. And many more people than ISIL uh, have uh, suffered at the hands of the U.S. military. So, um, um, you know, this quick, pattern we noted a couple of weeks ago has continued this week where they're projecting the blame for the creation of ISIS-ISIL onto Turkey and Saudi Arabia. This week, I mean, they... They did a kind of data dump in the U.S. media 
specifying that Turkish intelligence are responsible for training ISIS members and sending them over the border into Syria for secret operations. I mentioned also at the beginning of the show that Turkey's response to this is that they're attacking the Kurds, the Kurds in Iraq and Syria, who are being trained right now and given logistical support by 400 British troops on the ground in Iraq who've been sent to help the Kurds. I mean, they are actually technically, technically, in, in, in a formal, in, in the old, you know, declarations of war, the U.S. and the U.K. are now at war with Turkey. But this can't quite be admitted because Turkey is our ally, but it's not. It's just that this this is the latest absurdity of it. Yeah, well, they start. I mean, it's an example of the desperation of the uh, <clears throat> U.S. government when they start blaming their own uh, patsies essentially for doing what they paid their patsies to do. You know, but you know, there's no honor among thieves. You know, and uh, um, so it's not surprising that they would, uh, you know, sell sell out their supposed uh, uh, partners. You know. Yeah. But um, well, this is this is where you wonder how thin the ice is under this. U.S. Saudi oil rigging, yeah, because uh, the Saudi regime could could be history. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it's a very delicate balance going on there, and it involves Russia, the U.S., and uh, the Middle Eastern monarchies, in particular Saudi, and none of them trust each other. Uh, you know, they're all working at odds with each other. Uh, kind of the U.S. and Russia on two sides, and Saudis in the middle. Uh, trying to get the best deal, basically, and find out who's going to kind of win the day and who they should side with, you know, who they, who they should throw their lot in with. And it creates a very fluid or liquid uh, situation um, where basically they can switch sides overnight and um, it's, it can be very confusing. But overall, it's just a, it's a, it's a squabble. It's a, it's a power grab. It's a bunch of tin pot dictators, essentially, uh, all fighting uh, over the future, uh, their future positions, and trying to secure their future positions, and doing what they think is best, uh, you know, to do that, and uh, you know, trying to, you know, start, trying to figure out where the alliances are going to end up, and who's going to be in position of power, who's going to rule the roost, who's going to be the dominant one. I mean, Iran is a big issue in this. I mean, obviously, uh, Iran previously had, um, Iran has a problem or has had a problem with the Kurds uh, which are a minority in uh, in Iran but Iran is now kind of um, kind of courting the Kurdish Prime Minister uh, and, and helping them against ISIL because it wants to essentially you know kind of solidify or, or improve Iranian it's Iran's position in the Middle East and controlling it sees the Kurds as a as an ally potential ally in the Middle East there because out of this the Kurds are quite strong, and there may be a Kurdistan come out, come out of this, which would be a regional kind of small regional player, and Iran wants to keep those on side. Iran is just all the time trying not to be isolated because there's been a policy for years to try and isolate Iran. And, you know, Russia is in in league with Iran and obviously with Syria. It's all a big mess. It's, you can figure out more or less what's going on, but like we said, it changes from day to day or week to week. Um, the situation is fluid, liquid. So um, you just have to watch the space type of thing to see what's going on there, you know. Um, as we suspect, 
the power of the bee instinctively are picking up on signals from the environment, from the planet convulsing. And this week has been... Well, before we go into convulsing planet type things, there's one other interesting detail uh, of note from from this past week. Uh, There's a a revelation that the U.S. found its own chemical weapons in Iraq. You may remember a, a small story, a small detail. There wasn't much talk about it really, about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Uh, a few years ago, um, whether or not they existed. It rings a bell. general consensus was that they didn't exist. Well, effect, effectively, there was a, a New York Times investigation which was published uh, last Tuesday found that American and Iraqi troops uh, found and in multiple cases were injured by aged and degraded stockpiles of chemical weapons in Iraq. So there's two things here. There were chemical weapons in Iraq, uh, but they were no really more effective or lethal than the kind of things you'd find under the average kind of American uh, sink. You could put together a chemical weapon of the same effectiveness by grabbing a few items from under your sink because they were so old and degraded. But uh, So effectively, there was no threat. So it doesn't do anything about it. It doesn't validate the weapons of mass destruction claim about that was used to invade Iraq. But um, though they did find them, and some of them were injured because they kind of tried to tinker with them or open them, and they were leaking or something. So a few people got a bit sick from some from, from some chemicals, a few uh, American and Iraqi troops. Uh, but the other main thing was that they were all American-produced uh, chemical weapons. So on two counts there, they covered that up. They they didn't want to announce that for obvious reasons at the time. We found chemical weapons, but they're absolutely no use, and we made them. That wouldn't really have, you know, been much of a much of an argument for, for the invasion of Iraq, so they didn't say anything about it. And supposedly the New York Times had suddenly uncovered this, but obviously it was known probably by the media way back then, uh, and it's just now been decided that, well, we can slip this one out now. You know, yeah, there were weapons of mass destruction, yeah, we made them, and yeah, they were no good, and whatever, you know. Anyway, moving on. It's all done anyway. 1.5 million people are dead and good stuff. Anyway, uh, yes. One other thing before we go into crazier changes and stuff. Um, just a funny little thing. It's in the news right now. Uh, Norway. Sorry, Sweden. Uh, Swedish Navy has uh, claimed that they received, get this, uh, they're out, uh, the Swedish Navy is out right now in the Stockholm arch- Archipelago, which is you know, off the coast. It's in the kind of like, so it's the North Sea or something. It's Baltic Sea. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh, off the coast of Norway. Uh, they're out there searching um, with military, vessel, military vessels uh, because, um, well, officially it's due to alien underwater activity. Um <clears throat> Sweden intensified its search operation over the weekend in waters east of Stockholm, which could have reportedly been used to allegedly find a damaged Russian submarine, which is also alien underwater activity. Um, They they said that... um, a Swedish newspaper said that... uh, cited several persons with knowledge about the ongoing uh, operation... 
that the operation was launched after a radio communication in Russian was detected in the area. Uh, and the communication was reportedly transmitted on a special frequency used by Russia in emergency situations. An official in the Russian Defense Ministry, however, denied on Sunday any failures in Russian military vessels and said that all our submarines as well as surface craft are on planned missions in and around the world. There are no extraordinary, uh, let alone emergency situations, uh, have happened to any Russian military vessels. So it's a strange thing with Russian. <laughs> that is so Cold War. Well, it can't, yeah, exactly. Hunt for Red October. Where's John Rumsfeld when you need him? I know. He's probably on one of the Swedish ships. Um, it's kind of not knowing what's really going on. There could be many different explanations for this, but assuming that Swedish did pick up some kind of emergency signal in Russian, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this was attempt. Uh, it was kind of like um, trying to scare the Swedes basically into Russophobia, and uh, it was probably done by uh, some CIA submarine or something. Uh, or, or in some way or other, they transmitted some signal in Russian, emergency signal, simply to, you know, spook the Swedes and get them feeling that the Russians have their subs off the coast of Sweden, you know, spying on... Doing alien stuff. Well, or trying to invade maybe or something. There's a Russian horde on board a, a submarine about to sweep across Sweden and, you know, convert them all to communism and... Uh, <laughs> So, because I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but keep in mind that we're in an era here where we're dealing with Western powers and Anglo-American empire that is extremely paranoid and being driven increasingly to uh, ridiculous kind of uh, actions and, and, and plans and plots to 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 try and shore up its its failing empire. So it's not uh, uh, it's possible. It's within, within the the bounds of, uh, of of plausibility, essentially, uh, in that context, that that they could have done this, you know. I mean, there'll be more probably about it, or maybe there won't be, but certainly it's just an interesting and, tidbit. And people say we come up with outrageous conspiracy theories. I mean, these people with their conspiracizing—it's just non-stop plots and plots. Well, just like to get the UK this week, another ISIS plot foiled. Yeah. Just give you an example, you know, the Swedish armed forces say that they're not in a position to deny or verify media news speculations published about a missing foreign submarine. So basically, we don't, we're not allowed to say anything. But, uh, but over 200 troops, helicopters, stealth ships, and minesweepers have been, sweepers have been searching the waters of the Baltic Sea since Friday in what has been described as Sweden's largest military mobilization since the end of the Cold War. It kind of fits into getting European nations into yeah. uh, on a war footing. What you know, the result here is uh, for the major European country has been forced to mobilize its military uh, in the context of a possible threat from Russia. That fits perfectly with the U.S. agenda. Yeah, and its neighbor Norway this week introduced um, compulsory military training for women. I believe. Yep. Hitherto, it's just been guys who've seen it as a summer camp at this point, 25 years after the end of the Cold War, and now they're all on a war footing. And in the Baltic states, the U.S. troops are performing maneuvers. I mean, <laughs> maneuvers. They're having press conferences in which they show off 
uh, U.S. tanks. On the borderlands of Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, I think. I mean, if that isn't saber-rattling and or providing facts on the ground for the Russians are coming, oh my God, then I don't know what is. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, actually, I, don't, I thought we mentioned it last week, but we talked about it. It was previous to last week that uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Catalonia and the possible or the planned referendum to break away uh, in theory from Spain. But um, a week or two ago, the kind of Catalonian government bowed under pressure to from from the Spanish government to not hold the referendum. It was planned for the 9th of November. So they're not going to have a referendum now on independence. They're simply going to have a poll to see what people think. And obviously it's a foregone conclusion. People are, the majority of people are going to say, yes, we'd like to be independent. But effectively, they're not allowed to have a referendum. Uh, and they've been prevented from having a referendum by the Spanish government. Yay, freedom and democracy. Yay. The US DOD also this week made a point of saying our troop numbers, US troop numbers, in Europe are sufficient. We're confident we have enough. Why bother making that statement? Who said that? The US, the, the Department of Defense, uh, supposedly was just spontaneously asked, are our troop numbers sufficient in Europe mm. to defend against the Russian horde or some variation of that? And they said, no, no, we're good, we're good. Do European, not, European people feel not feel a little bit kind of patronized or like weak and ineffective or, you know, they do not feel a little bit... Uh, you know, degraded in a certain sense by the idea that they need America to protect them. I mean, I don't want America to protect me. I wish America would just piss off back to America and stay there forever, you know, behind a big wall. Uh, but all this talk, it's very, I mean, it's presented in terms of NATO and we're all in this together, but it's very clearly the U.S. When U.S. politicians talk about it, they talk about you know, uh, protecting our European allies as if like they're the big brother and they have to come in because basically European countries can't handle themselves, you know, and European countries are happy to to, to be in that position, that kind of, uh, you know, subservient position. I mean, and it's, I don't know, I'm, it annoys me, but I'm not European anyway, so. <laughs> yes, you are. Mm-mm. You're a peon, whether you like it or not. No way. <laughs> a European. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, rocking and rolling. and Oh, well, one other thing in terms of freedom and democracy and stuff, uh, Hong Kong is still uh, kind of in the grip of protests. And um, there's a report today that uh, the Hong Kong leader uh, said that, I said again, I think, he said it before, or maybe he hasn't said it before, but it's been said before, but he said explicitly that the external forces are involved in the region's pro-democracy, pro-democracy protests. That it's got to the point where even the, the actual protesters are having to admit that it's got are beyond their control, that there are people involved that are kind of taking over, and they don't know who they are. And the Hong Kong leaders are saying they're not from Hong Kong or China or anywhere close. And it's been said repeatedly before by other people that uh, this is clearly NGO, you know, activism sponsored by USAID. Uh, we could have a Kiev situation. <laughs> yeah, coming here. But well, I doubt it. 
because, you know, it's surrounded by China. Well, the Chinese are smarter than that, too. Uh, smarter than the average Ukrainian. Actually, funny enough, there's something that McCain said since we were missing him oh, this week. Um, he wrote, he, there was an article in the Atlantic in 2011, and he's quoted. He said, a year ago, Ben Ali and Gaddafi were not in power. Assad won't be in power this time next year. The Arab Spring is a virus that will attack Moscow and Beijing. And then he went on, and supposedly he talked a little bit about, about Hong Kong being a... What did he say? The Arab Spring is a virus that will attack Beijing? Yes, that's what he said. I know. He needs to go back to his hole in Vietnam. <laughs> no, but thanks to his stupidity, he yeah, has yeah. just actually out of exactly... Yeah, he serves that purpose, yeah. yeah. Kind of like Bush. Yeah, saying the wrong thing. You know, or saying the right thing at the wrong time. Yeah, saying the, the wrong right, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, McCain. Tell us more. <laughs> Tell us more about your friends in uh, in in ISIL and Al Nusra and how you visit them, all, talk to them all the time, and how you give them money. Yeah, they didn't quote it completely. It was the Arab Spring, and the leaders whom I had dinner with last year told me that they're going <laughs> to create chaos in Moscow and Beijing. Yeah. 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 The, well, they're onto it. I mean, they know this is what the whole fifth column discussion in Russia is about. Yeah. They know how it works. They know what the game's like. The problem is in Europe, they don't know. Well, if Europeans could put two and two together and realize that all those terror attacks from fake commie groups, you know, from World War Two, in fact, through to today, it still goes on in, in a Muslim garb now, are actually NATO slash CIA stay behind operations, they would have a totally different... I don't know. I think a lot of them do know it, but they're all Atlantists, you know? They're all, they all look west. All the EU leaders, you know? They're like Igor, you know? Mm. Dr. Frankenstein, basically. And they've created a monster called ISIL. You know? Yes, master. Whatever. That's, that's what European leaders are about. You know, and it's pathetic, you know? I mean, but you can't appeal to their pride. They don't have any, you know? can't appeal to their sense of, you know, sovereignty or, you know, not being a lackey of America and not looking bad. They look so bad and so subservient and, you know, lily-livered, uh, but they don't care. And that's the kind of people they're dealing with, you know. So people should call them that more often. They're pathetic. They're pathetic cretins. Obsequious, sniveling creatures, you know, that should crawl back under a rock behind the feet of their the mad scientist master in, in Washington, you know? Really? Anyway, you're saying about rocking and rolling. Yeah. Um, mental weather, as always. Surprise, surprise. Uh, several feet of rain falling in... Well, several feet of rain. Flash flooding this week. We had some serious flash flooding in Spain again. Uh especially the north of Spain and Galicia. Yeah. Denmark stands out as well. Something like 100 millimeters of rain in, in a day. Their entire rainfall for October in a single day. Yeah. Yeah, Galicia, Spain, 40 centimeters of water. Vigo, which is a kind of major city in, in Galicia, is uh, 40 centimeters. That's quite a lot. Like a foot, uh, foot and a half almost of, of water. Flash floods running down the streets, washing cars away. Tenerife was also just today. Major, major uh, flooding in Tenerife just ran down the mountain. It's just 
just unusual, massively unusual uh, rainfall, just downpours, you know. Yeah. Um, in Toronto too, Canada. Yeah, Toronto again. In Canada a few times this year. Yeah. So, well, if someone hits the coal switch, yeah, it's not going to be just. I mean, the Canary Islands, Tenerife is in the Canary Islands, which is down off the coast of Africa. You know, it's off the coast of uh, East Africa or West Africa. So, um, it's not the kind of place where they usually have a lot of rain or any kind of flash flood. So this is more evidence of just a major upset, major change in climate conditions. And Tenerife is also the. I was hoping that there will be some news of uh, there's a very big uh, well, Tenerife is basically a, a mountain, uh, a volcano, a dormant volcano. You know, uh, the volcano is called Teide, and it's the one with the big crack down in the middle. Uh, that if it um, if it happened to fall into the, the Atlantic, it would send a massive tidal wave across the Atlantic to Washington, to the east coast of the U.S. So I was hoping, I hope you know, not. Uh, scare anywhere or to you know not 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 that I have no problem. I don't want any American any of our American listeners or friends or whatever to, to be inundated but you know um, I'm just saying uh it uh, it would make me feel a little bit happier if I saw my title wave heading that way. But we would give you an update uh, you know, we would let you know in advance if you would look at it that way. <laughs> uh I'm sure you would be aware of it as well. Uh sooner than most people, but there's this uh major Dormant volcano with a big crack down the middle, and it would. Uh, I was just thinking maybe with all this rain, it might just kind of like, you know, send it hurtling down into the Atlantic there and liven things up. But alas, no, just major flooding in Tenerife. Um, well, listeners know we talk about ice ages a lot. And, yeah, do we predict one? Maybe, maybe not. But part of the data that we're going on when we talk of ice ages. It's the frequency with which they're known to have happened. Now, when you hear Ice Age, you think, okay, Ice Age, long time ago, yeah, yeah, massive ice sheets. That's so out of touch with my reality. It has nothing to do with the known world, even in, you know, fairly recent to ancient history. But I found a couple of articles, uh, one out this week and one from earlier this year, and I they're starting climate scientists who don't have their head up there behind when it comes to man-made global warming understand now that in Scotland, for example, previously they thought the last glaciers that ever appeared in Scotland were at the end of the Ice Age 12,000 years ago. Uh, that's been updated recently. Uh, the last time glaciers melted in Scotland was about 250 years ago. So you've got major ice ages, but you've got these periods in between. Things can change in the scope of several hundred years in a big, big way. Um, other studies to do with the Gulf Stream and uh, yeah, this is just more evidence that how frequently things shift. They've found that the Gulf Stream probably switches far more often than previously thought. That's where the warm waters coming up the Atlantic are saturated with melting ice-cold water from the north, and it's preventing that warm weather from reaching Europe. They think now it happens every six to 800 years. I mean, that is a complete shift in, oh, it's something we can project way back tens of thousands of years ago to something dynamic 
you know, and very present to, to human history. Mm-hmm. Fascinating to me. There are another, something else in the science desk. Um, U.S. study finds that tornadoes are happening in swarms rather than isolated occurrences. Um, I'm not sure if it's a kind of reluctance on their part to admit something or not, but they went out of their way to say that there have not there had not been an increase in tornadoes in recent years. But they were prepared to say that the way in which they're happening has changed. Where before you had your, say, average 500 tornadoes a year in the U.S. spread out mm-hmm. over a year, they happen in clusters now. And I think that uh, that fits with the pattern we're seeing. If you think of the intense storms we're having, mm-hmm. um, this buildup of more powerful storms discharging more precipitation and more electricity, it's, I think it's the same kind of phenomena here where a tornado, like any other storm, is essentially a discharge event. The atmosphere is changing and it's accumulating more power uh, for specific localized events. It's not so much that there's necessarily more, more in terms of the overall quantity of anything. Um, I'm making sense here. It's, uh, it's, it's the extreme pull on what would normally be fair weather systems. You know, Pierre's talked about this in his book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just recently, um, I read a summary, but I, uh, I think the report was actually released just recently. It's a report of total damages in 2013, so it's basically a, a natural disaster um, report on economic damages, you know, damages to infrastructure, deaths, the types of storms, um, and it's distributed like by country and, and continent, so it shows all the statistics. Now, apparently, 2013... So this is last year, not this year. So it'll be interesting to see what the, the stats are for this year. But last year, um, the the incidence of, well, first of all, damages were down from the previous 10 years. So pretty much all of the, all of the figures that they had um, were lower than the, the 10 years before that. However, um, so a few of the points that I found interesting were that the number of big, like, giant catastrophes was down. So that would be like huge hurricanes, um, um, like massive tornadoes, the stuff that do a lot of damage. But what, what had increased were specifically floods and just um, like um, storms, so extreme weather. And um, primarily in China and the United States, this is where they saw the most of these uh, trends. And in Pierre's book, one of, one of the predictions he actually makes is that the, because of the combination of the, the sun um, having less activity and also the increase in comet dust, it creates situations so like you're saying, there are more individual discharges as opposed to um, it basically building up for one big discharge. Mm-hmm. So what we end up seeing are multiple increased smaller right. um, but it, also spreads, yeah, but it also spreads around the world exactly. because of increased uh, cometry or cometry or space rock activity, you know, overhead explosions, you know, basically, you know, dust, comet and space rock dust in the atmosphere spreading around. I mean, one of the other places that, that uh, had major flooding uh, recently was Nicaragua, had uh, several days of 
heavy rains that killed 22 people. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're talking here about Nicaragua, which is in uh, Central America, uh, over across the Atlantic uh, to uh, the Canary Islands, uh, you know, up to Spain, you know, recently we've had in France, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, China. It's pretty much the entire world, spanning the entire world, we're having major, major precipitation. Um, and you can have it, you're having it in areas that are simultaneously having a drought. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting, we're sitting in France and we read in the paper that a place like pretty much two counties over yesterday got completely inundated. Six people killed, cars tumbling down the streets out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just intense. Localized, localized major downpour, yeah, and it, I mean, that's the worst kind, you know, I mean, it's obviously... It's, no warning, yeah. yeah well, it's, 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 in, it's localized, so a small area gets massive amount of rain, uh, but this isn't happening. It's a small area, but it's happening in small areas all over the world, repeatedly, over and over again, you know. And imagine when that turns into snow. I mean, there's already been early snowfall this year. It snowed in Norway, in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Siberia was covered in ice uh, too early. I mean, last year we had the whole polar vortex thing. And, and there's another one coming, and there's coming another to one. the U.S. Yeah. yeah, so that's the same amount of water, except it's going to fall as snow. And that can go pretty quickly from from there. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a hurricane heading for the U.K. going to hit in the next uh, couple of days. It's, um, it's the remains of Hurricane Gonzalo that, uh, that kind of battered uh, the Bahamas. Um so the UK is in for major uh, high winds. And, is there, yeah, and is there and another rain. hurricane heading for Hawaii? I think there's another one out in uh, I mean, the one there, the Pacific, yeah. Julio, was it? That was the first in 20-some years. Yeah. There was a flood after Hurricane Anna, or Anna, in Hawaii. Anna. Anna. Yeah. In where? Hawaii. Hawaii, okay. So, yeah, the, yeah, it's just continuing on. I mean, every week we have more of the same, basically. Getting worse and worse. Um, Earthquake seven point point four. You know, uh, Salvador, yeah. Did you see any other ones? Um, I I didn't. I was looking and I just got that one. Um, there was a six point one in the uh, Kermatic Islands in New Zealand, and a seven point three in Nicaragua too. Okay, most of them out to sea. Nothing hit land this no. week. There was a massive, massive fireball over Brazil in the city of Recife. Did I pronounce that right? Recife. Recife. Uh, there's some great video footage of it. It happened in the middle of the night, so it's all sort of CCTV cameras, you know, it's pitch black and next thing, you know, everything is visible like it's a daytime shot. Um, it wasn't, no, it wasn't the middle of the night. It was late evening. People were up there's some video that people are saying is the meteor, but it's not because it's clearly something that is ongoing. It takes place over a few minutes, and it's basically like they're looking at um, an electric storm. The sky is just glowing this weird plasma. Yeah. Some people said it might have been a transformer exploding. I'm not so sure. It's some some footage is very high up. An electrical. Uh interaction between the fireball and the planet on yeah. an ongoing basis you know, on the ground. Uh, I mean, we have to allow for increasingly weird effects from these kind of space rocks that come in, uh, electrical effects. Um, so it's kind of, you know, we have to 
kind of rewrite the rule book on that one, you know, especially with that one from earlier this year of the of the spiraling fireball, the one that was just doing the loops. In the UK, um, yeah. Yeah, in the UK. Um, so what have we got from the... Uh, are we any... Oh, there's one other thing that's happening right now. Right now. Live. Live. You heard of Comet Siding Spring. Here. Oh, yes, Comet Siding Spring. Who knows what will happen with that. It might be interesting or might not. It's very far away, even if you've got a telescope. It's a comet that's passing very close to Mars. Uh, well, it's, it's a first. It's a first, yeah. But in the oh. sense that, you know, they never thought such a thing. They never see it. Remember, 20 years ago, Schumacher-Levy was uh-huh. not supposed to be yeah, possible. of course. So the fact that since then, Jupiter has been smacked four times by comets, and now we've got Mars. They initially thought it was going to get right. hit head on, but and it's day. coming from the Oort cloud. Well, it makes me wonder what it's what it's dragging in its wake, uh, if anything. A party, a party of fireballs come to shake shake the whole planet up. You know, um, waving the ISIS flag. We'll have to wait and see. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, well, it's all right because the U.S government will send the, uh, send the military up uh, to shoot at them with their anti-meteorite guns. Obama will send some troops. Send some troops up there to uh, to take it out, you know. Stop it. Stop the spreading, basically. Stop the spread of the, of the meteorites uh, towards the planet. So don't worry, everybody. You're safe beneath the watchful eyes. This would be very hard to, to correlate, but Sighting spring, I mean, it's out of Mars, and it's a long way away, but uh, there could be something action at a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as well. Direct cause in, in, you know, in the near it, future. Well, that interaction between it and Mars is the most interesting thing. Yeah. So, will be any kind of, you know, maybe even electrical discharge or something happening between the comet and, uh, and Mars since it's passing so close? Um, I mean, of course, they talk about it's never happened before. How do you know? Well, what, what age are you? How long have you been around? How long do your records go back? What they, mean, shut up, you know? what they mean is their their models what model? could never have anticipated. Yeah, but the models are bunk. Space is supposed to be a two-dimensional. Yeah, dirty, dirty snowball. Nothing happens in space. Oh, wait, a comet is... Yeah, those dirty snowballs that fly through the sun, fly past in, through the sun's corona and don't melt. Yeah, very good. The models are bunk. They, they need to just shut up. They don't know anything. At least the, the, the ones who actually spout, get in front of the cameras and, 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 and spout this nonsense, don't know anything. Maybe someone in some secret, secret, super secret dark room and NASA knows it all, but they're not telling, right? So these people who talk about this are talking BS all the time, and it's been proven, and they don't care. Even when, even when what they say defies the laws of physics, they still say it, because our models, that's what the model says. We wrote it down, so we can't yeah. erase it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, just go away, you know, because you're irrelevant. You're no longer relevant, because apparently you have lost your mind. Have you seen photos of sighting spring? Mm-hmm. There's relatively recent ones where it flares up. Now, yeah. I'm using the correct terminology there because what's happening is obviously electrical. Yeah. But they look at the same down photo and they say that coma yeah. around it that pushes out in an almost perfect spherical yeah. shape snow. in all directions is space snow. It's stuff being ejected, material stuff being thrown ice. off it. Ice, yeah. space snow. And th- their minds, I mean, they're supposed to be experts in at least the mechanical laws of physics. Yeah, How do they think the stuff's being thrown ahead of the comet? Russia did it, obviously. Well, look, the reason they, the reason they can think that is because they are no different to 
the kind of things that come out come out of the Vatican the, in terms of of, of their, their belief system is no different from uh, like the the Catholic Synod recently uh, or the, <laughs> the sorry the um, bishops Vatican bishops rejected um, proposals for wider acceptance of gay people right uh, that was backed by his super cool holiness Francie Right, he's a dude. He all wants to be all you know, cool and progressive and stuff. But his bishops rejected it. Do they have a Do they have a logical reason for it? No, they're gonna you know pull some crap out of a a book that was made up over the past two thousand years, two thousand years, you know, um, and say that that's that's fact. There's fact based. So the people in NASA are basically the same. It's a religion of science, science of religion or whatever. These people are in NASA are talking from a belief system that is no more realistic than the belief system you get from the Vatican. So, and then when it starts happening regularly enough that they can't really deny it anymore, they start saying, well, we always told you it was like that. It's yeah. normal. It's what? been happening for years. Didn't you get the last memo? I mean... No, they, 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 never go, they never admit that they're wrong. No. They'll tell you, like, you lost your mind. Haven't you been paying attention? We've been saying, you know... Two years ago, they were saying you would never see a fireball. It's once in a lifetime, yeah. you know. And I was like, "Yeah, these things are fairly normal. We've always said so." Yeah. Anyway, they're bullshit artists. Um, yes. So Harrison, there doesn't have to be any reports of animals going crazy, but if there are, you can tell us about them. Well, I'll tell a few. We're, we've gone a bit over time, but I think we can make up for yes. the time that we've spent offline. Well, uh, following up from last week, I mentioned about the, the dog attacks in the, uh, that one region in Australia. And I'd also mentioned that it's happening all over, kind of. But um, I found some statistics for uh, a couple other places. Um, so it is happening all over. Um, Cox Hospital in Missouri, so just one hospital, has seen, quote, an alarming rise in serious dog bites. Now, these are serious dog bites in the sense of uh, not just like a little nip from a, you know, a, a dog get between it and its food or anything like that. These are actual serious bites that require a hospital visit, so like full-fledged attacks. And we see this there are similar spikes in uh, Modesto, California, in Sudan, and interestingly in Modesto, they, the dogs are actually also attacking cars. There's, I think, a Ford dealership in the area, and they showed some pictures, and the dogs have just kind of shredded the fender of this you know, brand new car on the lot. So these dogs are going around not only attacking people, but just inanimate objects. Um, this is happening in, well, not the cars, but it's happening in a place in Indore, India, as well. Now, this is a, uh, a city with um, a huge uh, stray population um, problem, and so they have a ton of dog bites um, all the time. In, tw in 2012, there were 10,000 reported cases. In 2013, there were 16,000. But already, in just the first seven months of this year, there have been 12,000. That's almost, so that's about just over half the year, but 12,000, that's, 
that's a that's a pretty big rise if we double that 20 let's say 20,000 if we project for the rest of the year um, compared to the 16 before that and um, so this is you get individual reports from all over the place but the, if you look at just the statistics in individual towns and counties and cities these are going up for some reason now it's but it's not just dogs um, in Vietnam there, there's been a rise in boar, bison, and elephant attacks. Now, the, the explanation they have for it is that it must be that the humans are encroaching into their jungle habitats, so they're experiencing more, uh, more attacks. And there's, there's been an increase, a record number of bear sightings in Japan. So these are just sightings which the authorities say would increase the risk of attacks. And there have been attacks in Japan. Uh, on September 12th, three field workers were attacked by bears. Um, and there's also been a string of cases of bears destroying property in Romania. Now, they've, they've attributed this to uh, a food shortage um, of the kinds of nuts and things that bears eat. And so these, these bears are basically going out searching for more food and encountering the local populations more and just, I guess, attacking property. And so the Romania has increased the hunt quota for bears for this year. And so I, I think the population is also growing because of changing conditions. I mean, we know the wolf population is exploding in Eastern and Central Europe. Yeah. Also. Yeah, I haven't seen any statistics for that, but it's possible. It's just strange that, you know, the individual, there are individual places all having a, a weird increase in certain strange animal behaviors. They're all coming up with different reasons, but at the same time, it's happening all over the place. Exactly. So. Exactly. There's, there's no one thing. No. I, I have a couple of crazy stories. All right. All right. This is awesome. Well, it's sad for the, the guy, the poor victim, but uh, a camel a camel killed a, a man, the owner of a, a wildlife park in Mexico. He was an American. Yeah, and they, again, they have their reasons, speculative reasons for why he did it, but it doesn't add up. The camel kicked him and bit him practically to death. When he was almost dead, the camel sat on him, and uh, he was asphyxiated. The staff tried to get the creature up, but he weighed over 600 kilos, and he wasn't going anywhere until what was previously his owner was it. And they speculated that it's because the camel was a soda addict and yeah. they hadn't had a Coca-Cola that day. <laughs> because the owner had been feeding him soda. Yeah. yeah. Every day. Let that be a warning to all the parents. It's part time feeding your children soda. <laughs> but the camel had actually... <laughs> They'll bite you to death and then sit on you. The camel had actually escaped its pen in order to do this. Yeah. So it's not like he just went in and, you know... Had it in for him, yeah. Well, it was abuse. Camel abuse. The other one, there's a video going around of a sea lion that got caught up in a Russian fisherman's net. And uh, it was filmed the whole thing. They get him out of the net. Well, they try to help him out of the net. But once they've got like a certain portion of his body, uh, the sea lion turns and grabs with his teeth uh, one of the fishermen and throws him almost overboard, mm -hmm. like the whole way across the boat. And they all, you see them all simultaneously just Back about 20 feet, and the sea lion. They had a dog on board too. Even the dog was like, "I'm out of here." <laughs> They're wondering what do we do? What do we do? But the sea lion just got himself out of the net, and uh, I think they hosed him off board or something. 
in your damn nets. Yeah, well, that's that's it from the weird desk for for me. Yeah, I have a weird story, but oh, yeah? it's not animal related. Okay. All right. It's about a helicopter in Russia. Um, they've been searching for it. It disappeared on Saturday. There were 12 people on board. And this strange thing, well, they can't find it at all. Something like 300 people were searching for it. But there was a detail here. It says, an early report that a mobile phone of one of the men on board was ringing after the crash has not led to the location being established. And when have we seen that one before? Uh, MH370. Yeah. So I don't know, I mean, what they're going to find, but they've been searching for, what, more than a week? And they haven't found anything. Hmm. Disappearances. But I think we're going to have a lot more uh, stuff. The reason we're, we're doing the uh, the kind of strange desk these past few weeks is because we, um, we figure that there's going to be a lot more strange stories appearing um, in the near future, so we just want to set it, set ourselves up for, set ourselves up for it, basically, because we want to keep an eye on that because uh, it's going to be pretty interesting, you reckon, along with all the, all the other madness going on. Anyway, um, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed the show on our little chat here, trying to make sense of a world gone mad. And not doing very well, unfortunately, um, because there is no sense to be made of it. But we try to describe it. Um, so, yeah, thanks for our, our listeners and uh, apologies for the break in the show earlier on, but we'll try and get that sorted and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, we will be back next week with another show on similar topics, probably. So, until then, uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night.